It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's a podcast where we get into all the episodes of the Twilight Zone and beyond. This is Matt here joining me today from, I, uh, should we call it Mission Log Prime? The the, the main Star Trek feed of Mission Log is John Sherpian. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. Mission, Mission Log Prime here from fabulous Roddenberry World Headquarters in beautiful downtown North Hollywood. Not even North, downtown North Hollywood, but we are in Burbank Boulevard in North Hollywood. Okay, so yeah. now, now they know where to find you when you, yeah, you exactly. say something yeah. horrible today. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, today we are having a look at the episode uh, Static, almost to the end of our videotape run. It's five out of six for this one. Uh, so I just, that's the trivia I just said there because I didn't, I've stopped putting uh, it to videotape episode of my trivia because I quit noticing, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, uh, yeah, five out of six. And and honestly, like, the change in quality is always kind of a weird thing to get used to or to remind yourself of when you hit that string of six episodes. But I always like looking for the little tricks that, that are cool that they could carry off with video, you know? So now it's a little bit of a mixed bag when you get to those. Yeah, how, well, yeah, how you block it, you might get something mm -hmm. a little, little different or something, you know, a, a weird reveal. Uh, yeah, yeah, as I, we I think, do in this one. Yeah, I think I'm going to go back. I was like saying 22 really should have been on film and, and it should have. But now mm -hmm. the more I think about it, I'm like that, that was a good video one. Just yeah, to give it a gauzy, you know, nightmarish quality. Right, uh, right. <laughs> as for this episode, the original air date was March 10th, 1961. Script is by Charles Beaumont, though the original story is credited to an Oki Rich, I guess. O C E E. Mm. O I don't really know. O C O C Rich. Mm. I don't, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Aki O C Oki. Yeah, not yeah, really yeah. sure. Yeah. Dean Yeager played Ed Lindsay. Yeager went from Leaping Studios in the studio period, working as a contract man for Paramount, 20th Century Fox, and MGM, culminating in a Best Supporting Actor win for 12 O'Clock High. He later had a run on the TV show Mr. Novak and had his final appearance on the season three finale for Cheers. Wow. That's, that's, long that's quite a run. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite a run. It's yeah, an actor where it's like, I definitely know the name. And, and I'm sitting here, Dean, Dean Yeager, right? It's not Jagger. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, right. I just, right. Yeah, I just know that it's somehow from pop culture, you know, yeah. uh, savantism or something. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> Vinnie Brown was played by Carmen Matthews. She started off with stage Shakespeare, but she also made a name for herself on television. She appeared in multiple episodes of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, as well as guest spots on The Fugitive and the 150th episode of MASH. Ooh, nice. All right. The affable Professor Ackerman was played by Robert M. Hart. He typically played more villainous roles, doing all the wrong things in films such as 310 to Yuma and Underworld USA. Mm. 
Okay. As always, I'm going to give you the prologue, but I think I have to like work you into this one a little bit because the prologue itself is kind of a response this week. Yeah, which I love. I, I love the the blending of the, you know, kind of breaking the fourth wall and Rod being on set there. So I'll, I'll kind of lead you into yeah. that. Hey, mister, what's that? Oh, wait, well, and then, it, then it's, uh, hang on, then, then it's like, ne never seen a radio like that, right? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Never seen a radio. Yeah, good thing. Never <laughs> seen a radio like that. No one ever saw one quite like that, because that's a very special sort of radio. In its day, circa 1935, its type was one of the most elegant consoles on the market. Now with its fabric-covered speakers, its peculiar yellow dial, its serrated knobs, it looks quaint and a little strange. Mr. Ed Lindsay is going to find out how strange very soon when he tunes into the Twilight Zone. All right. So my first thought on this episode, which I do like, but out of all the episodes of the Twilight Zone so far, I'd say this one's the most anachronistic. If you showed this mm. to someone under... 30 it like barely makes sense i think <laughs> yeah well you know it's interesting you say that because i i think that is I, I honestly you're right and then that kind of is the point because the theme in this is about the the disconnect as technology and the world changes around us and then how we kind of are, get lost in the comfort of our nostalgia and the things that make sense to us. Um, so yes, and it's not just with the technology, but just the mere setting where they are, like trying to figure out how a boarding house works and who lives there and why they'd be there for 20 years. And there's a, you know, a, a, an unfulfilled relationship there. Like it, it's so strange just to kind of wrap your head around the the physical location and the time yeah i mean it, i feel like people now just get roommates most of the time mm -hmm. it's not such a boarding house situation um yeah I'm thinking, I'm thinking the closest i got to that was when i was about 22 23 24 doing environmental education working on site and basically a group of 10 to 15 teachers you know in the bit kind of a boarding house situation so yeah well, but that's the thing is usually something with students or uh, like a work type situation where you're talking about a limited run for a specific purpose, not just a place that an adult with a job would live for 20 years with, you know, a half dozen other adults doing the same thing, you know, because I, I know it's sort of it's almost a throwback to. You know, there were times when a lot of people lived in hotels. And I think that's just such a fascinating thing <laughs> that practically nobody does today. But there was a time that a lot of people just lived in a hotel. And I, I kind of get it. Like you, you, you got you, all your services are there taken care of. And, you know, you need to get a meal where there's the hotel restaurant. And, you know, there's a certain kind of comfort and convenience to that. Well, I just saw a, it was a YouTube video or. It might have been one of those Quora emails that you get, which um, was uh -huh. some, anyway, the, the gist of it was someone saying like, I'm real, I'm an ex addict. I'm relatively poor, but I mm -hmm. stumbled in a situation where I basically get to stay in this hotel room for 12 years because right before the pandemic, he paid like something like $8,000 and basically has this place for 
a dozen years now. So oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> so wow. I guess it's still possible to live in a hotel. I, I know I think it's LA talking about using empty hotel rooms for for homeless or, or whatnot. I uh, yeah, that and um the former LA hospital is now being converted for uh for use for unhoused people. And I, I think that's great. Um but yeah, this is just kind of like you get the sense that it's an old house. We don't quite get where, um, but this old house and you, you've got, I, I think the weirdest part about it is you have this man in his probably early to mid 60s, something like that. It's kind of hard to tell. Like you never quite know because people's age looked a little different usually through the lens of, you know, a TV show that's 60 plus years old. Um so you've got somebody of a certain age and then this woman that it is revealed they had this potential love affair 20 years ago and just neither of them pulled the trigger and yet they both stayed in the same place stayed in that same house yeah i mean as a guy sitting here in japan i always had like the uh, driving urge to get out of my hometown not because i dislike my hometown <laughs> i guess just for me like subconsciously a feeling of success is you know, not ending up where you were reared. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. Totally. I mean, I, I'm not in Tokyo, but I mean, I'm in LA compared to where I grew up and where I went to school. So Birmingham and New York and Chicago and just kind of bounce around because you're carving that thing out for yourself. Yeah. A little farther away, a little farther away. Yeah. yeah that, that was yeah. my drive. It was like a South Carolina, then Pennsylvania, right. then Canada, and then finally, to uh, not Tokyo, but Japan. But uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. But the radio in this episode is uh, just 20, 25 years old. So I'm, I'm looking around my room and I'm like, this computer is 12 years old. Like 20 years doesn't <laughs> seem like that long. Um, I am sitting in a room that has about as many CDs as Tower Records and a bunch of guitars so more than tower <laughs> records now I, I should say tower records was alive and kick is alive and kicking in japan it was only about 2019 when their stocks started to get depressing so <laughs> oh interesting but you can still bop into one so it's just they there's their classical selection is still good but yeah it's like it's all like k-pop and a couple j-pop acts yeah so. <laughs> hey I, I no i had a good time i went to tower in tokyo and i think i went to maybe at the time there was still like a virgin or hmv or something and and that was an important stop for me to get music specifically in that store that i probably wouldn't be exposed to in the u.s so like that that was a, a critical thing I'm i'm bummed that we don't have massive record stores here anymore they're just gone you know yeah um and then i'm thinking tommy dorsey's listening to a 20 year old recording a 20 that's like hearing like the strokes on snl now right it doesn't <laughs> seem like that long ago like last night i was listening to the tyrannosaurus rex album right it's 55 years old now <laughs> right right but, but, but see that's kind of the weird thing though because like some technologies, okay, if we try to understand how radically different a 20-year-old technology is to something that we would have now, okay, yeah, you and I could use a computer that's more than 10 years old pretty easily, and things aren't that, that different, but, you know, a, a smartphone, a modern smartphone compared to, you know, a rotary dial phone that 
we definitely had on the wall at my parents' house 20 years ago, like those are pretty radically different. Or I guess like an electric car now, pretty common in LA compared to 20 years ago, where just that would have been a, 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 a you know, a weird experimental thing. Um, so I, I, I kind of get it when it comes to some technology, but music especially is not one of those things that just ages itself out of existence that quickly. And I think, well, maybe especially now because we have at our fingertips access to practically every song ever recorded. But even then, you know, even in the late 50s, early 60s, you could still play a record that was recorded 20 years prior, you know, uh, or when I was a kid in the 80s, you know, I could put on an album that my parents bought in the 60s or early 70s like that, that doesn't change the access to older music doesn't change. But this is almost like a back to the future thing where nobody had heard of a rerun. You know, yeah, really. they're like, <laughs> how could you possibly hear Tommy Dorsey on the radio? Well, because he was an internationally successful artist who had tons of recordings made and you could just play that and broadcast it. Uh, that's not that hard to figure out. So I found it much uh, spookier or whatever when, when they're like, here's the president FDR. That's something that might more likely be ephemeral. Like you, maybe they didn't record like every address, every fireside chat the man made, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. hearing that. So I am thinking if I, if I turned on the radio and had like, you know, here's President Clinton making a speech. I mean, I can see that in contact as well, right? But it, the live feel of that might be a little different, I guess, because that's the news. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, the, the news stuff was interesting. But again, like for somebody now, you, you know, you can go to YouTube or you can go wherever and just go like, oh, I, I want to see this broadcast from this day in whatever historic period that thing was recorded like that again you, you wouldn't think twice about that like oh i need to go watch a an air check from you know nbc news on 9 11 okay that that's easy to do that, that is a very easy bit of research to pull up now but in 1960 that would have been really radical um part of the the i guess the change in everyone's mind frame i'm not not even halfway through. I just started the book about two days ago, but uh, mm. Chuck Klosterman's uh, new book, The 90s, which has mm. him just kind of breaking down like what was it, what was it culturally. And um, the chapter... Ancient the, history. Yeah, yeah but one of, the cha <laughs> one of the chapters on movies, you know, and it seems obvious once he starts talking about, but the proliferation of the video stores l allowed us all to start deconstructing the movies. Like now... If you go to the movie theater and there's this bad film with one really good thing in it, you're just like, I saw a bad film. Mm. But when you have the mm. video store, it's like, well, this bad film has this cool thing. This bad film has this cool thing. I'm going to put it all together and you get Pulp Fiction, you know, a movie, that's, right. <laughs> a movie right. that's not trying to be like, not trying to make a philosophical statement, not trying to be like the ultimate crime movie. It's a movie, as he says in the book, trying to be a movie. Yeah. So yeah. That's something that, maybe the 1960 mindset is definitely lacking, which is why people are a little more surprised here. Right. Right. Yeah. Fascinating uh, spin on that. Love that idea. Um, I, I do like, you know, once he gets obsessed with this radio, his, uh, what are we going to call um, Vinny? His, 
It's like it's not quite a loss, love. She's still in his life. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. The the once and future girlfriend in the parallel timeline. I mean, it's it's complicated. And, and they weren't they weren't roommates or boarding house buddies. But I I remember like my aunt having sort of like you know that kind of relationship with the the once and future boyfriend sort of guy that was you know always around who he wasn't right. Yeah, uh, but yeah, you know. Yeah. So I guess. The boarding house part's weird, but you know that's where a thing happens. She's certainly comfortable enough to throw away his stuff, though. Is my main point. So <laughs> that's uh, yeah, that that's a little serious. Like the the investment that other people have and what he's doing seems a little strange, and, and the fact that they would actually go to that trouble to take his property and say like, oh yeah, yeah, no, we we got rid of it. Well, that's a little presumptuous. Yeah. I think I, I think my comic book collection is still at my parents' house. I don't think they've thrown it away yet. Um, <laughs> now, about a year or two ago, I did catch my my wife trying to clean house, and she had tried to throw oh. away my full size Cookie Monster puppet, and she was like, oh, no, the no, garbage. No. no, I was like, no. why is the Cookie Monster and, Lot and, and, and Lotso Bear was there telling me, you don't throw away Lotso Bear; he'll come back and kill you in your sleep. Of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I did let her get rid of several of the stuffed animals, but a few I was like, "No, we don't. We don't get rid of the Cookie Monster. That's at work now." So um, good. good. I saw students it with it. He's like, "What's your favorite food?" And if, and if they say anything but cookies, he'll like start to like assault them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, your answer is cookie. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> the, the, the most disturbing part is seventy-five percent of the kids just change their answer to cookie. But I guess as as a uh, well, you know, Luke, my coworker says, well, they do have a grown man telling them to change yeah. their answer. <laughs> now they're terrified of Cookie Monster. Way to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we should be terrified of the Cookie Monster. <laughs> actually, there was one class where I was told, don't bring the Cookie Monster in because the six-year-old girl is terrified of the Cookie Monster. <laughs> How can you be terrified of the Cookie Monster? <laughs> right. Um, oh, man. And, and I'm looking, Yeah. Sorry, I had a, a. Oh, here we go. The mm -hmm. other thing I put is, uh, of course, she refers to him as being the meanest, sourest, most cantankerous old man, which I guess today equals hipster. <laughs> uh, a little bit. It, you know, it's interesting. You you say hipster, and he, he's got this vintage radio that he's so uh, married to. I I had a, a question in my notes. I, is this guy the ultimate gatekeeping fanboy? Um, that he has decided what is the only true art form delivered in the only true medium uh, and and anything else that doesn't live up to that standard is subpar and uh, has no room in his life. And, I mean, and, and, he, and he's perfectly willing and happy to tell that to anybody who's within earshot. Yeah, I'm thinking about, you know, our, our musical taste because he's like Dorsey or nothing, right? Yeah, right. None, none of that. <laughs> yeah. None of that damn rock and roll on the radio um yeah i don't i don't know if it's that age thing everyone talks about or or the fact that um you know record releases have become so fractalized that you know we don't have like mm. the big record anymore but i'm like i think about eh, two three years ago a little bit pre-pandemic i finally fell off the uh, looking for new music train mm. you know i'll look at I'll look at Pitchfork, which is kind of their own sort of gatekeeper. I, but I'll still glance mm -hmm. just to see what they're reviewing that day. And um, one, right. if it's something I know, I'm going to guess like Muse album. That's going to be 3.5. I click on it's like 3.5. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I, you know, they can't like Muse, right? <laughs> yeah, right. But, right. Uh, 
something like that. But you know, a, a lot of it I don't recognize, and and I can't think of any like I can't now I'm the cantankerous old man. I can't think of any <laughs> recent releases that really you know I took a shine to. So in yeah. that way, maybe I'm getting a little bit like this guy. I don't know. <laughs> well, and of course he he does that. He he says like you know the, those he refers to plays and music like that's when they really meant something was in the the 30s 40s you know that that's his period and of course here we are in 2020s looking back at the 60s and we can look at a show like the twilight zone and go oh that's when shows actually meant something <laughs> or or what else was on at that period during that golden age of tv uh but uh, you know of course the irony is that in the 1940s when a guy like frank sinatra was first coming up and he was you know like 19 years old he was the teen heartthrob and that that kind of music and his image was absolutely disturbing to the adults in the room you know the 40 50 year, year olds who had been born before the turn of the century they were horrified mm -hmm. uh, at this you know meaningless noise that the kids are listening to these days you know so every generation has that of course then there's also the uh, the pop trash aspect um like i said mm -hmm. last time i was in tower records in tokyo i was kind of like um oh, i actually didn't stay very long because uh nearby there's a we still have rental stores by the way that's weird oh, <laughs> speaking wow. of video stores wow. and there's one about cool. five minute walk away from here and uh they were just hemorrhaging um rental cds and it was you know like wow. specific like you know things that nobody wants anymore so it's like 50 i got 50 cents for 50 cents that sort of thing but it was like yeah yeah about music from about oh let's say 2000 to 2015 uh so i have all this insane dance hall reggae some some stupid pop stuff some a whole <laughs> bunch of like soul and hip-hop and some other stuff and a lot of it i'm like well in 2007 i probably wouldn't have liked it the production would have been too shiny it was too pop but now it's yeah. great this is awesome you know yeah yeah well i i think what we're hitting on is this thing that is so universally uh appealing about this episode is that that we all get it like even if you're a young person watching this episode you get the trope of, of the older generation who doesn't understand this newfangled technology or this newfangled music and if you're somebody who has lived through that like you and I can look at music that we listened to 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and make a comparison to what's out now, or at the time we were making a comparison to what came before. Like all of this is just so universally related that it's kind of brilliant. It's just played to like the, the highest degree here. And, and there's something else, you know, as I get older that I also relate to in this episode, I have this very real fear of being left behind by technology. Like I, I consider myself pretty technically savvy and I've got a lot of, uh, uh, you know, computerized automated things around me that I use all the time every day. But like there could come a point where all of that is supplanted by something else. And that's this guy having grown up with radio and then TV shows up and your whole relationship to tv is something different from your relationship to radio and he's he's left out he doesn't get it he, he not only does he not like the content he doesn't like the way that people sit there and watch it like just from the get-go he is not happy about that at all 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the other thing in this episode, really, I guess, is all of the boarders are, you know, like comically addicted to the television. They've bought mm -hmm. into the new technology. Um, and, and it seems almost silly in here, but it, it's a thing. I remember hanging out with the punk rockers around the year 2000 and I thought we were going to go out and raise hell, but they just wanted to sit around and watch Law and Order. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'd sit there and watch a Law and Order marathon. I'm like, hey, aren't, aren't we like supposed to be you know, raising hell or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's the draw of the tube. I, I am relatively incapable of uh, binging shows I found, which I, I think is mm. good. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I've rarely done that. Yeah, binging is uh, well. Actually, during COVID, uh, I binged a little bit, but only light comedy. I, I couldn't uh, couldn't take much more. And other shows, I need to kind of let sit with me for a while. Yeah, I think the closest I got to that was was being in my being in my room a couple of weeks for being COVID positive, and that's when I watched mm -hmm. the uh, the Marvel What If. But that still took me a week, so I guess that doesn't count mm. as binging. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, exactly. me, me watching uh, that was that was good. By the way, I, I'm very burnt out on Marvel, but I did enjoy that little bit of uh, animation. <laughs> Maybe because it's animated, it's different. I don't know. Yeah, it could but, be. Um, yeah. But th that is, you know, they're forced to watch whatever's on the TV in 1960, of course. So you, they're they're not binging; they're just being force fed whatever the programming is. I mean, man, yeah. network programmers of the day had, I guess, more mind power than than we think about on the on the average. <laughs> Well, and think about that, because this is 1960, and to have that early in the game, that early in the popularity of TV, a show then that is making a commentary about TV is, that, that that's a, a pretty fascinating thing that, you know, Rod Serling very rarely pulled punches about anything, and, and this is another one of those places where he's kind of revealing by by showing those clips that he's showing those made up like commercials and, and stuff that are in the the little glimpses of tv that we get really telegraphing to the audience okay look how kind of insipid and just like not very thought-provoking all of this is yeah, when his radio breaks, I'm, I'm like, I wrote my notes. He needs to go find that uh, Pleasantville repairman, which I guess is kind of <laughs> a similar commentary on that kind of banality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I guess in those deconstructing 90s, maybe that book will, will get to it eventually. We'll see. Yeah, could be. Could be. Uh, do you have any other big points on your notes you'd like to throw out? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the other kind of very relatable thing here, and it depends maybe on where you are in your life and and your relationship to media, but the, this draw of nostalgia, I think, is just infinitely relatable as well. Because e even if we didn't have that kind of magic element that Twilight Zone almost always has, the the character part of it that really rings true is that here's this guy now who is so far disconnected from the world around him that the only happiness that he finds is in this place in his mind that you know was 20 years ago or give or take you know some of those broadcasts are earlier some of those are later um 
And I, I think we all have a real possibility of doing that. We all have, uh, uh, especially now because everything is available at our fingertips, it's a lot easier to dismiss anything that's new just because it is new and just stay purely in your comfort zone with the things that you, I mean, I do that, you know, Norman and I get on the air and we're, we're talking about, uh, before we talk about an episode of Star Trek that came out 25 years ago, we're also talking about like, oh, remember this episode of Galactica from 1978 or whatever, you know, like that, that sort of way your head gets stuck. And, and I think that's a dangerous thing. Like you, you have to, you have to also keep up with what's happening around you. Trying to check my YouTube history. I think I've fallen down mm -hmm. the rabbit hole of watching mm -hmm. these things recently, yep. you know? Like yep. you have fast food yep. places that don't exist anymore. Yeah, I watched <laughs> that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we have a similar YouTube history. Yeah, yeah. 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 But I've definitely been stuck on that kind of groove like recently. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fun. Well, it's nicer. Like you know, ten minute flash. You get them out of the way. And well, well for sure. me, I'm I'm usually watching something when a podcast, but I don't want to do that while I'm actually eating dinner. So that that's like my dinner thing. And then after that, I'll move on to uh to my yeah. business watching because I do mostly actively watch stuff now and. Uh, not mm -hmm. not to be like oh, I'm better than these people, but they're being hypnotized by the tube full on. Where I try, oh yeah, I, yeah. Those YouTube videos I'm getting hypnotized by, but yeah, mostly I'm like, okay, I'm actively watching something, I'm taking the notes, and I, I feel much less like I'm wasting my time that way. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're watching. Well, with Twilight Zone too, I'm watching these like a few times, but you know, one yeah. for fun, one for notes, and maybe one yeah. more as a refresher. So right, 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 exactly. Let's go ahead and plunge into those couple questions. Uh, at, and one of the reasons we haven't talked about the end of the episode yet is because it's, I think it's basically fits the, one of these questions. But <laughs> first, um, who in this episode went into the Twilight Zone? Oh, it, well, it, it's definitely Ed Lindsay. Um, whether or not, uh, oh, no, I'm forgetting her name, v, uh, Vera. Vinny. Many, many, many. Yeah, whether or not she did, I think is up for interpretation because when we get to the end, I think the positive spin on that is he actually does get to relive this part of his life. Like, like th this radio is the magic time machine that takes him and Vin back to 1940 and he gets to do it all over again and hopefully do it better, not make the same mistakes that landed them both in the same boarding house as mere strangers for 20 years, you know? So it, in that case, maybe both of them, but there's also the darker interpretation that it's just him. And this is just in his head. Like yeah, this yeah. is just purely his experience. Yeah. Glass half empty means that Ed just had a psychotic break. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like the woman in the, uh, in the living room said, you know, like he's gone completely psychological. <laughs> Great line. <laughs> psychological. Oh yeah. The other one that, um, I, that came in, they, they mentioned the Georgia crackers on the TV. I'm like, wow, that became increasingly horrible as I was growing up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. But, and I, I was ta talking to my coworkers a few days ago. Um, and, Georgia didn't even get rid of the Confederate battle flag from our state flag to like the mid nineties or something. It's, you know, Oof. Some, Oof. some of these, you know, Oof. sometimes the anachronism's a little, a little, um, a little more recent than you thought. 
Hey, did you see though that in the uh, IMDb trivia they reference that uh, that character that he's listening to, the senator? Uh, that that is the person that Foghorn Leghorn was based on. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah. I I thought we, I think we all just assumed, oh, general Southern Democrat at the time. But <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. It, and his name is something literally like Cleghorn or something. So I'm like, all right, Looney Tunes, way to go. Way to, oh, yeah. <laughs> way to make it topical. Yeah. But I was thinking the ending of this one does bring us back to that uh, 16 millimeter shrine conundrum mm. where it, it is like, is this a real happy ending or is this a super existential dread horrible ending you know <laughs> right yeah uh, but e even then it, it, it's like how how terrible is it? it even if this is an individual experience even if it is a mental break or breaking point for him are we okay as the people on the outside just to go yeah you know what let him live that way that it, it, mentally he is happy now Mentally, he's where he wants to be, and he gets to escape into this kind of strange piece of the past. And and that's why this is a good uh, uh, kind of bookend for a 16 millimeter shrine. Like we we can definitely take that glass glass half empty look, but at the end, I also get the feeling that because of Rod Serling's closing narration that we are meant to take away the happy ending version of this, where th this is literally what happens to these two people because of the magic radio. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's just the double-edged sword of the twilight zone. Even when they tell you it's a happy ending, you know, you're yeah. going to be like, but is it, but is it <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so that makes the, the second question very convoluted today because it depends on what direction you take it from being, does Ed Lindsay deserve his trip into the twilight zone? Hmm. Does he deserve it or do we all deserve it? <laughs> because he's kind of a cantankerous jerk. Um, but he gets to this place where there is some happiness to be found, some opportunity to be found. So does he deserve that? Well, no, he's just kind of been a jerk all the way up until now. But the people around him, if it's real... Do they deserve that because here's a guy who had a breakthrough and now is going to be a better person about it? Sure. Because Yeah, with the happy ending, so we're, let's take the mm -hmm. track where Vinny is also in the Twilight Zone and magically transported back to 1940. Is that what she wants? Maybe she's had a... I mean, I mm -hmm. guess she has the unrequited love thing going as well. But, yeah. um, you know, who know, maybe her last 20 years have been generally fine. And she yeah. might not want to erase those <laughs> right right no exactly yeah so maybe she doesn't deserve it <laughs> she has no say in this yeah, yeah yeah so it's like yeah either way i mean she looks happy i guess but yeah that sure could be, you never know if it's stepford wife happy again because this is the twilight zone <laughs> right yeah yeah exactly um how about the trip meter rating looking somewhere from zero to five being super trippy where do you want to put this one i mean th this is about a this is about a three i i think like it, it, it's just slightly slightly over the midpoint of trippy because we're sitting here asking each other if this is a magic radio that has time machine capabilities and can 
rewire somebody's entire psychology and overwrite maybe <laughs> this poor woman's uh, 20 years uh, of her adult life. Like, that's a pretty trippy, weird thing. I think it's less trippy just if we're solely looking at Ed's journey. Because with Ed, it's, it's just like a process of connecting back to this thing in which he finds joy. So that that is a less trippy idea. It's a more trippy idea that we're actually manipulating somebody's life and they don't know it. Yeah, I, I had the same thought as yours, uh, three with a giant question mark. Yeah. But I, I've decided right. just, just, just to give a different number, I'm, I'm going to bop it down to 2.5. Because okay. one thing that did take me out and frustrate me is his magic radio does not work very well. Mm. <laughs> of course, whenever he tries to bring anyone in to listen to it, it shorts out, right? Static. And right. half the time he's trying to listen to it, it's static, you know? So yeah. it's, it's not a very dependable machine. Um, but again, I guess if you gave someone 1960s, like barely functioning YouTube, that would just be beyond amazing. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's... The fact that it was all staticky, uh, I think that's another one of those things where you have to ask, like, is all of this just going on in his head? Uh, because when he brings people into the room, they don't hear it just going, okay, he's he's not well, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, here's kind of my, my own trippy question for the day, uh, because for me, I'm able to, I, I guess, not not quite meditation in this case, but just just kind of I have certain fixed points in my life where I can kind of go in with my mind and kind of look around mm -hmm. and and remember it. And I'm you know, I, I know I, that's something that how my brain works. I don't know if that's how everyone's brain works as well or not. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And it's weird stuff like um, riding on a bicycle in Japan in uh, 2005, you know, just like this 10 second clip is like permanently etched in my brain, you know, mm -hmm. uh, six year old birthday party with a clown. I can kind of look around the room and my head and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of like the end of this episode where maybe, I mean, he might not even be completely psychotic. He may just be like, you know, sitting back and kind of placing himself back into that room 20 years ago mentally uh, yeah. without going nuts as well. Yeah. Yeah. It could be, could be, which is mentally, I guess, trippy, but as far as like the twilight zone, it, it dials, dials it down sorry pun oh, right. not intended <laughs> yes yes okay uh any any final thoughts you want to throw on this no i i, I think we hit all the major points i mean it is kind of a, a lovely story that you can make weirder if you want and you can also make less weird if you want i think that's fine it's also one of those weird twilight zone anomalies where it, you know Shot on video, I think really using the medium to the best that they could. Thank goodness they go back to film after one more episode. Um, but there is something about that that at once makes it look more real, but also reveals all the shortcomings of the production. Uh, so you kind of have to watch it as like not just I'm watching the story, but I'm also watching the production happen. Um, so I, I appreciate it like that um gosh what else uh oh i i do love having rod serling on set mentioned that like i i love when they pull that off and i gotta say that reveal at the end just handled so well 
that that was so well done where you show ed you show old ed getting the radio back and then you just you cut away long enough with the camera you just focus in on the speaker grill then you turn the camera around onto young venny coming in the room then and we've given enough time here for the change right then you'd come back around to ed and suddenly it's 1940 ed I, it's so so cool love yeah. the way that was handled um i think it's next season we're definitely gonna have to be thinking about this one in terms of a kick the can which my memory at the moment is is mm. the 1983 movie remake version and of course yeah we... right my mine too mine too yeah i need to go back and watch the original yeah, yeah we'll, we'll be hit, yeah, hitting the original but that, i feel like yeah. that's kind of a you know retirement home in that case uh returning yeah. to youth literally so it'll be interesting to uh compare and contrast when we get there because I, I know the movie one's quite different than the episode but i can't quite remember how so yeah 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 <laughs> We'll get back to that. Um, we'll go ahead and please tell everyone where they can find you on the internet. Happy to. Yeah. Find my work at podcast.roddenberry.com. That's where all the shows are. Find the ones that fit you. Might be Star Trek, might not be Star Trek, but there's a lot to choose from at podcast.roddenberry.com. And then I, uh, you can find me on Instagram, jchamp72. And... I think that's about it. Oh, and uh, Twitter at DVD Geeks uh, for as long as that lasts. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> yeah, my Twitter still seems to be posting. I, I did finally get mostly to auto posting because I I've got like three podcasts and tend to forget about some of them sometimes. Oh <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yes, yes, we have many podcasts. Uh, you can find us on Patreon at Podcastio Podcastius. Of course, Time Enough mm. Podcast is there. Still on Twitter at the moment. On Facebook. Um, yeah. We talk about sci-fi movies and Matt and Luke's sci-fi sanctuary. And if you're into video games, there's things for you like Luke loves Pokemon, Monster Mash about Monster Hunter, and the Game Game Show, which is for British folks yelling insults at each other for an hour or so. <laughs> it's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. Sort of the British panel discussion vibe, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> discussion and quotes. <laughs> the, yeah, the, sorry, this is a, a little aside, but in Japan there's a there's a lot of panel shows with TV talent and they're just they're known for the panel shows, so it's kind of weird. Interesting. <laughs> I, I guess yeah. we have, you know, like the Kardashians and stuff in the, in the states we have things like that too, but uh yeah. 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 I guess it's it's interesting how the the panel show vibe varies from country to country. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Okay, well, I can only think of one way to end this episode.